Oh, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. A lot of interesting stuff in the report this year. I mean, uh, we can't not talk about the pandemic and how it's changed all industries, but also uh, the wine industry in unique and and um, common ways. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, the pandemic is, I mean, who would have thought that you would have a pandemic and have the stock market go up and home prices <laughs> rise the way they have? So there's been remarkable change uh, in, in many, many ways. Um, channel shifting is a big part of it. And for the wine industry, we ended up in the United States, we ended up closing all the tasting rooms and the restaurants um, you know, across the nation for a period of time that in the 2020 uh, era. And uh, so that shifted all of the, the purchases back to grocery. Um, and made it very difficult to actually figure out what was happening in the in the industry. But uh, yeah, we, we all have many, many stories from 2020. And in 2021, it reversed itself. So everything that happened before kind of unwound, but there's permanent changes uh, that have taken place too. Yeah, I mean, what are some of those permanent changes that you're beginning to see? Some of them are just advances. So for instance, you know, you could see you could see that the internet uh, sales of wine in the United States was going to was going to take off, but it had been going very slowly. If you looked at the average winery in uh, in 2019, their sales for internet were somewhere between a percent and two percent total. They weren't they weren't that much, but but you know when you have consumers locked in their houses, um, they start looking for <laughs> for ways to get what they want, and so. In 2020, it increased to about 10% of sales, for instance. Uh, and I kind of thought for 2021, we would see it drop back, a reversion to the mean, as they like to say. And uh, so I kind of expected as we saw restaurants reopen, that people would go back to restaurants, that people would go back to tasting rooms, back to wine clubs that we have in the United States. And uh, it didn't happen. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, internet sales grew. Uh, as a percent of sales, they they remained flat, but total sales actually grew. So, so what's happened? In, in other words, I mean, I know how important tasting rooms here are, are here in British Columbia and wine country. Um, I know how important restaurant sales have been traditionally for, for wine. Are, are we now seeing a shift to some extent away from those things? Um, yes, yes and no. I mean, uh, in the United States, we have what we call three-tier distribution. Um, so it's, you know, I think in, in Canada, if I'm recalling correctly, there's a, a nationalized sort of distribution system, but in the United States is privatized, but it's locked up. And, um, and so only the very large producers truly get access to all the chain stores. The small producers just are, are kind of a pain, honestly, to the distributors. They can't afford um, so um, it's important. It's actually critical for the small producer to figure out how to sell direct to consumer. And you're starting to see that trend across many, many retail segments. Direct to consumer is becoming, you know, the way to go. And, and at some point with, um, you know, with the, the kind of software that's out there and the, the computational power, you know, at some point we're going to be able to um, start to figure out how to market to an individual instead of a group. And, and I think in the end, that's where it's going. Uh, it'll, it'll be for a, a while out, but, um, but that's where it's headed. And so direct consumer component is, is a, a critically important thing. Roughly for the average winery, about 60% of sales in the United States. Wow. That's, that's, um, 
a big number. One of the things I found most interesting about the report this year was your look at demographics, who's buying wine, who who a wine customer is these days. And and you raise a bit of a red flag about um, about the future of wine sales, specifically for for younger generations. Where are you seeing a drop in consumption? What do you think it's down to? So you have to kind of go back and you have to look at where wine became important in the United States. And, and uh, really, it was the middle 90s, uh, the, the French paradox, uh, Mediterranean diet. Um, there was work by Arthur Kanzler, Dr. Kaiser, who came up with a, uh, you know, plenty of work that supported the notion that moderate alcohol consumption had um, positive benefits for, for heart uh, condition. And, uh, you know, at the time, the boomers were just coming into their own with money. And that was really the only good premium uh, alcoholic beverage that was available. Beer really wasn't very good in the United States. Uh, and probably, you know, worldwide, it wasn't that great unless you maybe maybe in Germany, perhaps, but uh, places in Europe, but not in the United States. Um, and spirits were equally uh, not made that well. But in the, in the late 90s, spirits started to take off. They copied what was happening with premiumization in wine, premium quality wine. Um, and so the boomers have really driven wine sales in the United States for the past 25 plus years. But now that, you know, that median boomer hits normal retirement age of 66 in the U.S., um, you know, you see people, I would, I would, I like to say sunsetting is, <laughs> is the better way to say it. Um, uh, as consumers. And so now you have these younger consumers that are raised in a different era with different values, and they, they don't really hold wine in the esteem that the, uh, the older consumers do. And, you know, what, what group of younger people want to drive their parents' car, right? That's, <laughs> you have to market to their values, uh, you know, not the old generation. And that's, that's the place where we find ourselves right now. And everybody that's coming up behind the plus 65 year old uh, age band um, thinks about wine. Uh, well, they, let's just say it plainly as they drink across categories, they just don't really have any allegiance to a category. And for the wine industry, that's, that's a significant drop between cohorts. One of the things you pointed out is that the wine industry itself has been slow to recognize the trend, slow to at least try to appeal to another generation in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, the way I view things, but uh, you know, for its internet sales, obviously they've been around since the nineties um, and the wine industry is, you know, a late adopter. Uh, and that's just one example of, of, of many things, but it's a traditional industry and, uh, and it learned to market effectively to what I call lifestyles of the rich and famous. The older generation used to like to, you know, wear their wealth publicly. Um, conspicuous consumption was in, uh, but it's not anymore. Uh, so, you know, the ability to, to actually look at who your consumer is. And I think this is hard for any business, but you know, if you, if you have a consumer as an example that dominates purchasing and they're doing really well and you're growing as a business and everything seems fine, it's really hard to make a change and say, well, this is maybe not where it's going to be because you have to change where you're aiming for something that's coming. And that's hard. And so for our industry in particular, that's traditional and very fragmented, a lot of small producers, um, it's been really hard to change. And, and 
there's still, uh, you know, really a lack of um, of uh, effort, if you will, to, to make these changes. I'm speaking with Rog McMillan. He's the author of the Silicon Valley Bank's annual State of the Wine Industry Report. One of the things you pointed out I found interesting, and I noticed this just at the liquor store, even here in Canada, is, is how few what we might call entry-level brand, entry-level wines are out there that seem really appealing. Uh, I know there's been a lot of sort of marketing around trying to make wine slightly more accessible to a younger generation. I don't think the wine itself is very good, um, or not all of it. Uh, where do you think that where do you think that's come up short? Well, I don't think that young consumers are going to buy a $35 U.S. bottle of wine to try. Um, in the old days, we used to have wine writers that would, or raters that would, um, you know, help direct somebody's attention to wine. But there's so many wines, there's so many choices now. Um, it's really difficult to get the attention of that of that consumer, uh, but you know, trial is the most important thing to, to anything, but particularly for wine, you know, that it's not the first sale that's important. It's actually the second. The second sale means that you've got somebody's attention. The first sale, though, is a really hard one to, to get. And we used to be able to get through restaurants, uh, you know, taste rooms, another one, but everything under $10, let's say, um, were the places where I call on-ramps for that new consumer. Uh, the problem is the you know prices have gone up, the costs have gone up, particularly for real estate in the United States, and that gets baked into the price of a bottle. And so, you know, I find the the wines under ten dollars now relatively unimaginative. And so, that consumer drinking across categories into spirits and cocktails can get a really interesting craft cocktail or a ready to drink cocktail in a can with with premium uh, ingredients. And that's what the wine industry is competing against. Uh, the, the purchase, the entry level is, is less. The quality of those spirits is, is are good. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, the, the wine just is not holding up uh, from a value standpoint for that, for that consumer. And so something has got to change. If you look ahead to uh, 2022, 2023, where do you see of uh, the industry headed uh, and what are some of the sort of the highlights and the lowlights that you, you see coming up? Uh, everything in premium is doing really well. Uh, the growth rate in premium wine last year, uh, those are, you know, the, the, they're small, small wineries, but the growth rate was uh, 21%. Now that's coming off of all these lockdowns. So they were hurt the most in, tw- in 2020. So, you know, that kind of 21% growth is, is not sustainable, but, that part of the industry is growing quite well. And, uh, and that'll probably, there's no reason to believe that won't continue um, because, you know, we'll always have wealthy, but the question is, is that who you want to sell your product to? Do you really want it just to be for a wealthy class? And, you know, I, I'd say that's a dumb way to go. <laughs> you know, if you, if you really want to be successful, you've got to grow your category. So, um, that's the the blinders that we have on in our industry right now, and and I'm hopeful for some change um, going forward. Of course, as as a as a world, we've got to get through a pandemic um, and all the supply chain problems that we have. When you think about wine and and its distribution, wine is very heavy. It comes in bottles. You, you know, you you can't make freeze dried wine. <laughs> That'll never happen. Um, but you can find better ways to package it uh, that are more uh, carbon neutral. 
and uh, and that you know does appeal to a, a consumer today. So the, those are the kind of changes I think that we're going to have to see uh, to remain successful and uh, and viable as an industry. Well, we'll we'll always be viable. I mean, <laughs> wine has been around for. Well, I was in the Republic of Georgia, and they say that's where the first wine uh, you know, in, industry actually formed, and that was like I think it was fifteen thousand years ago. So there's a good chance it'll be around still, but um, I'd like to see it around more healthy than it than it might be. Uh, at least what's headed down the path. Rob McMillan, thank you so much for your time today. You're welcome.